McShane Bible Study, day 201, and we are starting in Judges 3. And, you know, it, it tells us that the, the other nations, the other Canaanites, were left in the area in order to test Israel. For, says, they were for the testing of Israel, to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So they hadn't driven them all out the way they were supposed to, and now they were left around to test them. Are you going to stay true to me or not? And of course, they did not stay true to them. They started uh, intermarrying between them. They started uh, following after the, their gods. Seven, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served him eight years. So they, again, did explicitly what he said not to do. And so he raised up somebody. Basically, he, I'm trying to put it in more generic terms so it applies to us today. He brought horrible circumstances upon them. They were on the wrong track. So he brought horrible circumstances upon them to wake them up so that they would seek him again. And what did they do? They did. The next verse. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer of the people. And so this is Caleb's brother, Othniel. So we have three judges in Judges 3, and they're all kind of little known. They're not the famous judges that most of the book is about. Um, but he... He uh, defeats the enemy, and he leads them for, what was it, 40 years? And then uh, same thing happens. We go on this cycle where the people turn away from God. God raises up uh, Eglon, king of Moab, to be above the people. And then Ehud comes and saves them, right? And then we get a one-verse story about Shamgar, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. And that's Judges 3. And all we know about Shamgar. Right. We don't know too much about him. And we're moving into Acts 7. The thing that stood out to me this time, which was I never really thought about before, so this is the stoning of Stephen, which starts with him giving this great speech in, in response to them all ganging up around him and accusing him of things he didn't say or do. And he gives what I've always just read is always kind of the history of Israel. But I read it a little differently this time. Like he's specifically mentioning people that were, that are a picture of Christ to come, right? Of course, we just started judges and you could also look at all the judges like that, right? Someone who saves the people from their errant ways. And as we move forward, we also move into kind of, What's Jesus' purpose, not just for himself, but to bring a people? Let's see, verse 5. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it. So talking about Abraham. Not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years, but I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. So it talks about Abraham 
at receiving the promise and yet not fully experiencing it himself, but then preparing a place. But then the people that he prepared it for went through a time of great difficulty until they finally did come into that place and did worship him in this promised land, right? And patriarchs, this is nine, and patriarchs jealous of Joseph sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. So again, Joseph rising from the dungeon, from the pit, uh, into the favor, the right hand of the king, and with all wisdom and, and favor, 13, and on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. So now we see who's, who's raised up, not just Joseph, but the brothers, right? The many sons of God. 20, at this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deed. Again, we see this picture of somebody that's, that's taken out. Jesus was brought up in the world, right? Now, was he brought up in, in wisdom? Joseph and Mary gave them all the wisdom they had. And God specifically picked them as being uh, wise and righteous in the ways of the world and the best that the law of Moses could offer at that time. But remember, later Mary came to him to rebuke him because she had no understanding of what he was doing because she was not of the kingdom. He was coming to introduce something higher. And so we see the similar picture with Joseph, excuse me, with Moses here. Uh, 39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him... Stop it. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So isn't that the history of mankind? Isn't that the history of the, or isn't that the way of the, the fallen humanity that we say, we are quick in the flesh to make gods for ourselves out of other things, not the way of God, right? Well, I don't see God. Where is he? That's what they said about Moses. I don't see him. Where is he? Let's, let's do our own thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the way of fallen man other than seeking the Lord and becoming aware, filled with awe and wonder that he is everywhere with us. 42, but God turned away and gave them over to worship the host, over to worship the host of heaven, as is written in the book of the prophets. So he said, well, you want to worship demons, principalities, rulers, and authorities of Satan's kingdom? Okay, I'm not going to stop you, but it's not going to go well with you. 45, our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for this God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built him for him the house. Again, a picture. Jesus introduced this. Solomon could never be anything without David, right? 
Solomon was a product of David. He didn't have it in him to even accomplish what David had accomplished. Right? There's something else entirely. David made it possible. But Solomon built the house. Jesus made everything possible. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It can only be done by and through him. But it must be done by the many sons of God who Jesus is living in, that he becomes the fullness in the world through his house, his temple, which are his people, right? And then they get around to stoning Stephen. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So he's about to go through a horrible death, right? But you see, God is with him. He's, he's actually in peace as he's murdered. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So just like Jesus on the cross, he's fully at one with God. It says, Lord, they're killing me, but give them a chance to repent, to turn back to you and be saved. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Jeremiah 16. Hi. Hi, do you Okay, we have moved upstairs, and Jeremiah, I don't think I'd really start talking about Jeremiah 16, right? So he, 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 you know, maybe he asked if he should get married or something. God says, don't take a wife or children, and he starts talking about the judgment. Again, it's going to come, the hard times people are going to have. Verse 11 says, then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods, and have served and worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. So isn't that what we just read about in Judges? It's basically over and over again, God saying, I want a people who choose to live with me, who choose to learn my ways and follow me, and I will bless that people. And I keep giving people a chance to do it, and they keep going their own ways. And so I'm not going to stop until I get this people, right? And so he's, another chance is going to come up here. He's going to prophesy 15, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. So he just talked about the judgment that's going to come on the people. Uh, you know, the king of Babylon is going to come and wipe them out, right? And he's going to bring the people that aren't killed to over to Babylon. But So he's, he's just prophesied destruction on them, right? This, however, 16, behold, I am sending for many fishers declared the Lord, and they shall catch them. So he says, out of this people, my fishermen will catch some of them. And afterwards, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. You know, I had a dream kind of similar to this. Um, I think I had like police coming after me. It was fairly early in my walk when uh, it was the time when I was first getting to know Mr. Soon. And uh, this uh, interpretation was given to me from this this part right here. Um, and it's interesting. It's been extremely fitting, especially if we read what the next couple of verses. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. So he says, I've, I've picked out these. Now, they're not good enough. They're not okay. I see... The, the, the ways their sin manifests in them. But first I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin. 
because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. So he says, they're a mess. They're, they're, they're going after other ways. They're living according to the ways of the world. But I am going to bring difficult discipline on them. I'm going to use this as a process to redeem them so that they do become more like me, more like what I need my people to be. And then I will bless them. And so 21 says, therefore, behold, I will make them know this once. I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. So he's declaring, I will make a people mine, right? We've gone through the cycle over and over and over again through history. And it, the cycle does not end until there's a people that are pure and true and truly devoted to God. And I believe we're living in those times, Rustin. And finally, we end in Mark 2. And we have the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. And they lay the... Uh, this is the mat through the roof, right? Did it say that? Yeah. And... Um, so let's see, I highlighted 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I said, you rise, pick up your bed and go home. He says, the, the, the purpose of this is greater than any, any sign or wonder. The sign of wonder, I mean, obviously to that man, it's huge, right? The guy's never been able to walk and now I can walk. That's amazing. Um, but... He says, look, there's a bigger thing going on than just matters of the flesh. This is simply a sign in this world of the reality in the kingdom of heaven that I have authority over the things in this world. You see that? Mm -hmm. So I'm bringing a way that is higher than the ways of this world. Since you are of this world, you have no concept of the power and authority that I have. So when I say to you, your sins are forgiven, and that sounds blasphemous, I'm simply showing you, I have understanding, knowledge, and power and authority above anything you can comprehend. And then Jesus calls uh, Levi or Matthew, and then they're eaten with the uh, tax collectors and sinners, 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. We kind of just talked about this, right? People that think they're already good with God, they can't receive what God is doing because they're complacent in their religion. And the reality is none of us are good, quote unquote, good with God, right? We all have so much further to go. And so he says, I need people that are hungry for me, and I can do wonders in them. But if you're good where you are, I can't help you. You're stuck where you are. See that? And then they come, you know, John's disciples and the Pharisees' uh, disciples all fast. The people are wondering, how come your disciples don't fast? He says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. So are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. In other words, I haven't chosen from the likes of the Pharisees or even John's disciples, although a couple of them did come from John's disciples. They wanted to leave John and follow him, right? But 
He says, I need people that are hungry to learn of my ways and are not stuck in their old ways. So I can't use those who have built up this great reputation uh, for serving me and are not willing to humble themselves and be transformed by the new things that I'm doing. I must use new wineskins because they're able to expand and adapt and change to handle the new wine that I'm pouring out. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then they're they're eating the grain in the fields and they, they're questioning him and he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So you asked, what what does this mean? It means the law points to the reality of Christ and his kingdom and a higher law. And so he says, if you get caught up in the laws of Moses or the laws of any religion, Christianity, if you get caught up in the laws and the do's and don'ts that are really only there to point to a life, to a wisdom from above, to a leadership by God, then you're stuck in religion and you're missing the thing. All those do's and don'ts. You know, there's more do's and don'ts in the New Testament than there are in the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. like double almost. Um, But, you know, Christianity has a, a somewhat of a basic understanding that our our sins are forgiven through the blood. So in general, Christians aren't as, um, I don't know what what word to use. Jews can be, especially the, the more strict, the more orthodox they are, they can be incredibly strict in interpreting the laws. And Christians tend to not be quite as strict. But the heart of both can easily and is often easily that following a list of do's and not following a list of don'ts or not doing the list of don'ts gives righteousness. And Jesus is saying, no, those simply point you, they're guidelines to point you into the life. And as you grow in the life, you will do more of the do's and less of the don'ts. And so they are connected. It's not to say that that they're important, but they are simply guidelines to point you into my life and my wisdom and he says look god told moses to tell the people not to do these things and they were breaking it but he says there's a higher wisdom here i am lord of the sabbath and so follow me and you will be above the the rules that have been set to point to me does that make sense mm-hmm. all right that's all i have you have anything else Now, God bless you. God bless you.